Hello, everybody. This is Gil Weinrich with my bi-weekly Thursday podcast for Seeking Alpha readers. And this time we're doing something a little different. I'm speaking with somebody well-known to our audience, Jeff Miller. He's the president of New Arc Investments. He's a very popular writer on Seeking Alpha, among the most popular, in fact. But popular has a kind of superficial sound. The truth be told, he actually writes extremely substantively, and he's very much respected by the investment community, myself included. So that's why it's a pleasure for me to invite you. And Jeff, this is actually the first time we're speaking. I feel like I know you. It's nice to meet you kind of voice to voice. Well, thank you, Gil. I actually hear that a lot. And it comes from the writing style that I have adopted, I think. Huh. Your writing style is very interesting and unusual. We live in a world of egotistical people who don't always give credit to other people for their thoughts and ideas, and yet you do that all the time. I think that's one of the things that endears you to some of our readers, and certainly one of the reasons why I very much respect and read your material weekly. I'm quite sure that I don't know everything But I like to think that my background and training has helped me to identify real experts. So a thing that I'm good at is finding out people who are better than I am. You're also a registered investment advisor in the state of Illinois. And you do have that unique background as a teacher, specifically as a college professor. How has that informed your role as a financial advisor? I guess everyone draws from their experiences. And uh, I've actually had a stint working in government as well. So what that does is it enables me, as most professors can, you learn how to learn. And you also learn about the fundamentals of institutions. So when I read about something happening in the legislature, for example, I have a background to interpret that information. I studied policy formation for a long time and followed it for decades, helped in guiding tax policy when I was in Wisconsin. When some people are suspicious of government cooking the books or something, or the president dictating what the numbers are, I mean, I I went to the Bureau of Labor Statistics after corresponding with them over a year or so, and I was visiting there, taking my son on his college tour, and I arranged a meeting with them. And, you know, these are career civil servants who are expert statisticians who take pride in what they're doing. And the notion that changing political leaders uh, dictate what they're doing is just, to them, it's laughable. But to many people, it seems credible. Perhaps the most interesting observation of all is that you learned how to learn. That's something that fascinates me. I actually wrote something kind of related to that on Tuesday. Can you tell me how you've learned how to learn? I think that's something a lot of people could benefit from. This is what a great education is supposed to be about. I'll give you an example. I left the academic world and went to the Chicago Options Exchange after finally being persuaded by some friends to do quantitative modeling there instead of for um, government agencies in Wisconsin. I had no idea what a stock option was, but I immersed myself in the process studied everything there was, read about 10 books, did hands-on statistical research. And within a few months, I was teaching the class to beginning options traders. If you're a college professor and you're going to take up a new course to teach, you prepare yourself with all the leading material in the field. You think it through clearly and organize it. You look at it from the perspective of someone who wants to be educated in that field and find a logical way to present it. That matches my experience as well. One of the best ways to learn something is to intend to teach it.
It definitely uh, frames your thinking. So very good. Let's talk a little bit about the client side, New Arc Investments. You've written on a number of occasions that your intention is always to customize portfolios to your client's needs. How do you go about doing that? The clients themselves don't always have clarity about their needs, goals, and risk tolerance. How do you help them? Well, you're, you're exactly right. They don't have a good idea of that. And they really may not even know how to think it through. So many big firms hand people a questionnaire and say, fill this out and try to pigeonhole them from the questionnaire. Well, the result of that is they have something that protects them if they're ever audited by a regulator, but it doesn't really help them do their job effectively. So what I do is conduct an interview. I start by learning about the client, the normal sort of things about age, family, expectations, what their goals are and when they want to retire, about their business. I learn everything I can learn and get to know them a little bit. And often there's a uh, something that is a link to them about a place we've both lived or visited. So it's a conversation where I really get to know the client. Then I go to my sort of list of uh, eight different programs and I think about which of those fit the need. I, when I go after risk tolerance, for example, I don't say, well, uh, how is it you deal with risk? I mean, people are likely to say, well, I've been through things before and I can deal with any sort of risk. That's really deceptive because if people overstate their risk tolerance, what they do is bail out at exactly the wrong time. They find themselves always selling low and buying back in high. So I make it very clear with any of my stock programs that 15 to 20% market moves are normal. They're routine. And I say, if you are my client, I'm not saying this might happen. I'm saying it will happen, that you will experience this. And so what are you going to do when the market declines, as it's been doing here the last couple of weeks? and Jeff tells you that the fundamentals are fine, the economy's solid, we don't see a recession, and yet everything you watch on TV says the end is near. No one likes to see a decline on their brokerage statement, but some of that comes with the territory. So what's your number? How big could that be? And by then, I usually have a pretty good guess. So I might say, well, Gil, my my guess for you is the number is $40,000. You wouldn't like it, but you could understand it and you could deal with it and you have enough confidence in your method. And then you would say, well, yeah, that's actually about right. I usually I'm pretty good at guessing it by then, but some people adjust it a little. Say, okay, we can n- multiply that number by five and that's how much you can put in a stock program. Everything else has to be safer. So what I've done is I've backed into my 20% risk allocation and I've done it in an honest way that gets at the truth. The client has now selected an appropriate investment program, matching his risk. He's raring to go. So how do you control for risk now? How do you even define it? Stocks are inherently volatile. Did somebody, you know, starts with you in September and then October was a rough ride. Did you say this is what we already discussed and this is what was to be expected and the economy is fine? How does that work? How do you control for risk when you know the next day the stock you bought will go down or could go down? There are two key principles. One of them is I don't believe markets are efficient. Warren Buffett says I'd be on the corner selling pencils out of a tin cup if markets were efficient. Uh, The famous Graham allegory of Mr. Market who comes to you with an emotional offer every day. So 
I'm not too concerned about the market opinion of what something is worth on a given day. And I try to communicate that to clients. So what I'm protecting against are the big declines, the ones that are associated with recessions. I also look at the uh, St. Louis Financial Stress Index. Both of the recession, both the recession indicators I follow and the stress index would have picked up 2007, by the way. The uh, recession indicator has picked up every recession for the last several decades, save for one. It has given an early warning a couple of times. So that's how I'm protecting against the big down moves on the fundamental side. On our technical trading side... Sorry, before we even go there, so you have a recession indicator that works for you, but what does that imply? Does that mean that you sell your client's stocks prior to a recession, or how does that work? Yes. When the recession indicates a higher level, I start reducing position sizes. So in 2011, when the stress indicator got to the threshold of my concern, I reduced position sizes. And by the way, that doesn't help your performance because usually these risky times are, you know, when you get a rebound, that's the best result. But risk comes first. The second time I did this, I I add a level of sort of knowledge and whatever wisdom I might have, the year we got to the fiscal cliff, um, I cut back positions by over a third. I thought everything would be okay, but other experts were worried. And so I stepped back a little bit then. So that's how I do it. I go to whatever cash equivalent is uh, most effective. Okay. And before we go to the technical indicator, can you tell me how do you know when to get back in? I continue to watch the indicators. I fundamentally look at forward earnings and interest rates. And right now, stocks are very attractive on a forward earnings basis. And I I would be less enthusiastic and would be looking for more bond alternatives. I'm not just a, someone who's who endorses stocks. I have a bond program and a REIT program as well. You said you had a technical indicator system as well? For our trading models that I write about each week in the, in the stock exchange, they all have individual collections of stops, and we also have a market health signal. And so those models will get completely out of the market if necessary. So my modeler, brilliant guy, old friend Vince Costelli, created, started creating models with me. And he said, wow, look at the performance of the one I just sent you. And I said, well, Vince, that's great. But what about that stretch where we were down 45%? And he said, well, look how quickly we rebounded in the final result. Well, Vince, when we were down 45%, all of our clients disappeared. So they weren't there for the rebound. So Vince and I have, he's a genius modeler and I've helped him tailor things so that he also is aiming at a 20% drawdown level. Can I infer from what you're saying that part of the reason why you sell when you sell and then of course get back in thereafter is because there's a certain reality of the client psychology that they're just they're not going to be around <laughs> to get back in again i mean it's kind of interesting they they literally the clients leave when they lose most people can understand that the market fluctuates but especially after 2008 they really fear some decline that wipes out half of their uh, half of their savings so what we've done is tried to devise methods that limit the potential downside and in that way, let people have the confidence to stay invested through the normal sort of market fluctuation. 
And what's the long-term result of that, have you found? How, how do clients do overall? Have you quantified this? Well, sure. I mean, we have performance for each of the programs. It's You have to look at, it's not enough just to have better than market performance. You have to have lower risk as well. You mentioned fear in the markets tied to memories of 2008. It's hard to forget 2008, not just if you experienced the market at that time, but also because we read about it on a daily basis because so much of the financial market commentaries are about that. What do you have to say about your peer commentators? <laughs> the punditry, as I call them. It's, it's a great business. If I were to start over under a different name and I wasn't managing money or trying to do best for my clients, I know exactly how to make a lot of money by writing. Uh, selling Fear is a very, very profitable business. The, the very top websites and the people who've monetized their writing the best have taken that approach. You know, you can always find by adjusting scales and things, you can always find a past chart that looks like the current times. These are the headline grabbing articles. The plane landed safely does not attract any viewers. But if you get the recession word in there somehow, even if somebody's saying, well, there's a 60% chance of recession in three years. The headline might read, well, the chance of a recession in three years is doubled. And pe most people don't read critically and don't go much past that. Well, that's the fear business model. Tell, tell us a little bit about your business model. Why is it that you write? How does the writing you do tie into the work you do as a financial advisor and any other work that you do? Well, when I started writing, it was in 2005, and people were just beginning to blog. And I just thought I had a message. I thought I had something to say, and it was mostly educational. And it wasn't very widely followed, but a few other people took note, and they would link to me, and I would link back. Things were, you know, mutually supportive in those days. And I was also an early contributor at Seeking Alpha. That was a very good thing for me. But along the way, I realized that I was writing like a professor. I was pedantic. And I didn't want that. I wanted to connect to people. So I, I started to write as if one of my clients was sitting across the table from me, where I was explaining something every week in a way that people would appreciate and enjoy. And that made a tremendous difference. I got a lot more readers. And once in a while, somebody would get the idea that maybe we should talk to this guy. And they'd call me up and they would hear the same guy on the phone that they read every week. Although I have a hundred clients and like 40,000 followers at Seeking Alpha and others at other places. So <laughs> I better want to do it for more than just the clients. <laughs> Can you tell me an anecdote of somebody whose welfare you have enhanced perhaps either through your writing or through your service as a financial advisor? It sort of goes beyond just the mechanical moving of money and picking the right investments. I have younger and middle-aged people who will write to me about decisions that they want to make, and then we'll talk on the phone. College choices for kids, whether a new home at a certain price might be a good investment. I talk to people about a wide range of things, and I think the fact that they keep coming back and wanting to talk is um, testimony that I've done something right.
Sounds like you've already have uh, you've already developed quite a legacy both on the site and through your clients. I'm sure that our readers have found this fascinating. Jeff Miller is president of New Arc Investments. It's been a fascinating inside look into your world as a as an advisor and not just as a writer. And we look forward to continuing to seeing your ideas expressed on, online through Seeking Alpha. Thank you so much for joining us, Gil. I would be remiss if I didn't add one more point. Uh, I couldn't do what I do without a tremendous supporting team. So the people in my office help uh, not only get me prepared for writing, but giving me the time to devote to it. So I want to mention that. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I hope to do so again.